Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Fixed Income Conversation Corner podcast on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. In the wake of the June Fed meeting, today's conversation will focus on the road ahead for monetary policy, the economy, and implications for fixed income investors, including a look at some considerations when it comes to positioning within the asset class. Joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy for the Americas, Leslie Falconio. Excited to welcome back to UBS, Gibson Smith, the founder of Smith Capital Investors. So with that, Leslie Gibson, welcome to you both. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners, our clients. Leslie, I'll pass it over to you to lead today's conversation. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. And Gibson, thanks again for, for taking the time. I know our advisors and clients will you know, appreciate very much what you have to say, particularly during a time that we're seeing you know, over the past couple of weeks. And obviously, just to, just to kick off you know, the the, the topic jour, which is obviously the Fed, and I, and I think that you know we just had this Fed, me- the recent Fed meeting. You know, it's been digested finally into the marketplace that you know a pause does not necessarily mean a peak. So, how would you sort of characterize the recent FOMC, and what were your takeaways in terms of how this might shape uh, really just the expectations going forward as we go into the second half of the year? Yeah, great to be with you, Leslie. Thanks again for having me. Uh, the Fed, the Fed followed through on what was a highly anticipated pause, but spoke with a real hawkish tone. Uh, the commentary post the meeting really reconfirmed that they are still concerned about inflation, and um, I think, in my eyes, are very data dependent going forward. I mean, that's stating the obvious. I think the fact that the Fed officials in their forecasting have additional hikes on the horizon really sends a signal to the market that, you know, we, this really isn't a true pause and that you know, there could be future monetary pipe, you know, tightening in the pipeline until we get inflation to levels where the Fed is comfortable. We should anticipate that uh, this is not a, a permanent pause. Um, I also think that the Fed is really reconsidering the aggressiveness that they've gone through um, post uh, the regional bank situation and the tightening lender, lending conditions we're seeing in the economy, and that likely fed into their decision to pause. You know, but what really, really grabbed me yesterday, and, and this was a kind of away from the Fed. Um, you know, we had a day yesterday where the the Fed actually paused. The Bank of China lowered rates in a, a kind of positive stimulus action, and the ECB raised rates also. And I think this is important when we're thinking about not just the Fed, but central bank policy, and that uh, we're starting to see divergent central bank policy around the globe. And this could bring more volatility into the foreign exchange markets and thus more volatility in the risk markets. And I think the, uh, you know, when the two largest economies are moving in divergent directions, it could create some friction. So, but moving forward, I mean, Fed's data dependent, very, you know, keenly focused on inflation. Um, you know, we you know applaud the Fed in their in their path here of fighting inflation. It looks like it's working, and I think we have to be uh, you know a little little on guard for additional hikes on the horizon. Yeah, and, and I think too, you know, Gibson, to your point, I mean, the market's finally readjusted, 
you know, it, what it had priced in in May in terms of the amount of easing in 2023, which, you know, actually, you know, reached, you know, 80, 90 basis points of easing in the second half of 23. And they finally, you know, moved towards that Fed guidance of higher for longer. But even when we look at some of those, you know, projections, which we, the Fed projections, which we know is just a guidance, you know, the recession, you know, probability is still out there. But, you know, there's no question there's that between recession and just say a growth recession that I think that the uh, Fed is pricing in given the fact that even their own projections are below trend growth. So when we think about how the market is pricing in going into sort of 2024, it still has a, a fairly ample amount of easing priced in in terms of what it's expecting for overall 2024 easing, which is still greater than the Fed. Like, how do you think that this plays out? Do you, do you think that they remove that easing in 24? Do you think that there's the, there is a potential of recession at the end of the year? Or, you know, what is your view in terms of when the Fed actually starts to sort of, you know, pause and then pivot? Would it be early 24, mid 24 in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's going to be into 24, and actually, you know, it's obviously going to be largely dependent on the future readings on inflation. We all know that. Um, I think the other thing that the, the market has done, the market has gotten way in front of the Fed in terms of, you know, expectations around easing. And I think the lag effects of the tighter monetary policy, the fall off of the aggressive fiscal policy we experienced during COVID um, are kind of working their way through a higher cost of capital in the system. And you know, invariably, it's going to show. It's going to slow economic growth. I think we, you know, we believe that that is a, a very defined outcome for the marketplace. The question that the market's wrangling with is this construct of, you know, deep or shallow recession, or kind of soft landing or hard landing. And the reality is, is that I think the market needs to focus more just on the growth trajectory and less on determining the the landing uh, when all is said and done. And uh, in this environment of slower economic growth, um, we're also seeing tighter lending conditions associated with what's playing out in the regional banks. We all see that. It's happening. And this higher cost of capital is also putting pressure on demand for you know, for loans. And all this together, I mean, if you step back and you look at the, you know, the, the overall economic data, it's very, very clear that we are entering a slower growth trajectory for the, uh, for the economy. So, you know, the Fed will be subject to this getting significantly worse or maybe marginally better, and they'll have to react to that is how we're, how we're viewing it. You know, but on a positive note, um, you know, inflation is working in their way, and we're starting to see it now work its way into inflation expectations, which I think is a net positive for the bond market. Well, I think with that said, and that's, and that's sort of a good segue, because now that we've seen the, the market price out, the dovishness it once had in 2023, and except, you know, a little bit more towards that that Fed guidance and high probability with the pricing right now that July actually is another 25 basis point rate hike. With all that's being priced in right now, which is which is much different than we saw, you know, two months ago, you know, how do you think about sort of, you know, interest rates or locking in a little bit longer, even though we have a even more deeply inverted curve since this, since these easings have been priced out in two cents or three months of tenure? How do you sort of how do you how are you playing that sort of into the second half of in, and into early 2024? Yeah, yeah, the consensus has you know rates staying you know higher for longer and largely range bound, and, and we. We subscribe to that view. I mean, we think that the market will continue to kind of trade in a, in a fairly tight range here in the near term, and then we'll 
move you know lower largely lower here as we start to experience the kind of economic slowdown and we get more validation on the lower lower rates and inflation and you know the the other element of that which i think is really critical is that the the bond market starting to exhibit the insurance policy nature that it has in the past as we go through this process and so i think that's something investors you know should pay very close attention I mean, anything that triggers a lot of fear or uncertainty in the market could result in this strong flight to quality trade like we saw you know, during Silicon Valley's collapse, uh, Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. So bond market you know, can serve investors in different ways. And I think ultimately you know, the inverted yield curve, if you recall, tens, twos or twos, tens, however you want to describe it, was at negative 108. It went to negative 50. We're back down to negative 97. And that's really sending the signal that the bond market is anticipating more difficult times ahead for the economy and much more positive outlook on inflation. And I think investors have to plan for over the next 12, 18, 24 months, a normalization of the yield curve, which could be the Fed lowering rates and responding to the slower growth environment. So uh, let's not, you know, let's just not lose focus that the Fed's policy position as we were kind of coming out of COVID was to go from a negative real rate focused policy to a positive real rate focused policy. And the reason I bring this up is it makes the focus on inflation that much more important going forward. And I think the Fed will use the real rates that exist in the marketplace as a proxy for when they're done or when they need to keep or they're not they keep need to keep going. Well, let's let's sort of let's bounce off that in terms of you know real rates, which I happen to agree with you in terms of the, the increase in real rates that we've seen, particularly when we look even in that five-year area, which we know of longer term is restrictive. We almost went back up to that two percent high that we'd seen this year. Um, it, does that play into sort of the opportunity set that you see in fixed income today, or how would you how would you play that in terms of higher positioning? Yeah, well, I think you know we're, we're we're clearly in a world that is is underinvested in fixed income after the 2022 experience, and I would say largely overinvested in cash and money markets. And I, I think most investors are in general in a short duration positioning post again the 22 experience. So I think the the bond market um, has set itself up to where this increase in yields, which has you know yielded the increase in cost of capital in the system is much more attractive today. And we're pretty excited to share that, you know, bonds are back and offer some of the best returns I've seen in a long time. And I think the hatred of the bond market in 2022 and the experience that many investors had um, has resulted in the bond market repricing to levels that are very, very attractive. Um, you know, we see this you know, along the curve. Some of our concerns, though, is that we talked about this inverted yield curve. It's very extreme inversion, and you have these, you know, very attractive front-end rates. Um, particularly when you think about a six-month bill at a five-ten yield or a two-year Treasury at four and three quarters. You know, those are very attractive yields for investors coming off of that again bad 22 experience. And we we caution investors to not get stuck in that front-end yield trap of expecting that they're going to be able to earn those yields for an extended period of time. Those will adjust, obviously, with Fed policy and expectations around Fed policy. If you think back to the Silicon Valley Bank situation, the two-year Treasury rallied about 135 basis points in a matter of three days, and that was largely getting in front of the Fed's, you know, kind of pausing and ultimately easing. So, we we look at the market and believe there are, there are you know some new opportunities that are much more attractive today. The math behind the market makes sense. 
We're finding great opportunities in the securitized or mortgage-backed security space. And we think ultimately, as time passes, there's going to be some even better opportunities in the credit markets. Uh, but right now, it's a range-bound market, and we're trying to earn carry where we can and also have duration in the portfolios to protect against risk market volatility. You know, I, I think that you, you touched upon, which is great, a good, a good segue, because when we think about CIOs, our view here in terms of positioning, I mean, currently we, we're, we're pretty much for neutral things like high yields, we're, we're neutral loans, and, you know, when we look at the performance of those higher credit embedded sectors such as high yields, you know, the outperformance this year, even in that lower quality of triple C's, that we, had, we admit it was one that we did not anticipate, but I think the market just was expecting a recession a little bit early on, kept a little bit in cash, and then did a bit of of a FOMO uh, allocation, but now that we look at things like high yield and IG spreads at you know 286 basis points, only a yield differential of three percent, we've definitely leaned more towards the higher quality within the fixed income sector. One of them being IG corporates, and the second one being particularly, as you had mentioned, which is definitely a favorite of ours, is agency MBS, which you know we know that has been more of a a uh, technical versus fundamental headwind. How do you think of that positioning going forward? I mean, do you still you know, feel that those are, or how are you playing this at the higher quality, like sort of what we're doing, the, which is, by the way, you know, a fairly consensus view, but I mean, that higher quality locking in that higher, you know, view, given how well the lower quality actually is outperformed much more than what was originally anticipated, do you, are you still sort of in that same viewpoint? Yeah, we are. You know, we also, you know, want to be a little cautious, though, in that, Spreads are obviously vulnerable to volatility as economic growth expectations have, you know, come down and, and or there's concerns about the growth trajectory moving forward. And, you know, when we look, we look at higher quality credit, the yields are very attractive on a historical basis, but spreads are not. And, you know, we have to remind ourselves that the uh, credit markets uh, will react to poor economic data going forward with likely some spread widening. So there's a timing element of kind of placing overweights in the higher quality investment grade space. And I think that's what we do as part of our active management uh, process. Uh, but, you know, the higher yields that are available in credit markets, we like, and we are taking some, you know, some, you know, taking advantage of some opportunities there um, on the securitized or MBS side. Um, We've gotten to a position where the extension of the index from one and a half years to 6.4 years, uh, taking a lot of the negative convexity out of that market at still yielding kind of, we still have discount dollar prices and really attractive spreads and nice yields. We think there's better opportunities right there, you know, in that market in the current period of time. But I, I think that that high quality bias is still going to serve investors very, very well here over the next six to 12 months. Um, you can sprinkle in a little of exposure to high yield. Um, like yourself, you know, we were a little surprised by the performance we've seen in the in the high yield market. You've got the triple C component of high yield up almost eight and a half percent year to date, and kind of flies in the face of a lower economic growth environment, particularly with the higher cost of capital working its way through the system. So there'll likely be more volatility in the leverage finance space, and we'll see kind of an increase in defaults and bankruptcies and uh, that could put a little pressure on the market. But I do like the up-in-quality trade here in the near term and think between mortgages and some high-quality credit, you can enhance the yield within a portfolio uh, and create a very attractive outcome for investors. 
So when we think about the agency MBS side, and it's, it's, we're definitely in agreement on that. And as as we know, I mean, part of the underperformance was more of a technical variance of some of these sales, you know, out of these three failed banks and this unanticipated, unanticipated supply. But what is not a technical, more of a fundamental, you know, right now we view or just love your thoughts on when it comes to the CMBS side and given the fact that, you know, you, know, you spoke about tightening lending standards as a headwind towards, you know, economic growth. When we think about what the market is pricing in right now, is there's a lot of negative sentiment in terms of CMBS and office and the, you know, potential higher delinquencies and defaults going forward. And it's obviously shown in some of these negative total returns that we've seen in the sector, which overall, when you look at a relative performance basis, might look at, might look attractive. But how do you think this plays out going forward? Is it too early? Do you think this gets worse? I'm just curious of your CMBS sort of side of, of the uh, spectrum. Yeah, we're very early, you know, very early innings of having to deal with, you know, the commercial real estate, you know, market, especially office. I mean, it's painfully clear that the the lower yield environment um, really kind of largely manipulated by the Fed and other central banks resulted in this massive allocation of capital towards uh, the office space and other commercial real estate. And when we think about the move in interest rates, we all know there are markdowns coming. I mean, that's going to be inevitable part of, of a process. But you know, when you look at the, the marketplace today and you understand the structural change that has taken place with hybrid work models and work from home and a lot of the post-COVID adjustments that we're going through, it's, I think it's impossible to not think that there's going to be some more difficult times ahead. You know, we're getting story after story of restructuring or walkaways in the space and I just have to believe there's going to be a little more pain and there's going to be, you know, some significant repricing that takes place um, as we work through the cycle. But let's, let's look at it, you know, in, in today's terms. Um, you know, like any market that's working through price discovery, there will be some opportunities and the commercial mortgage backed space has very quickly repriced. When we look at triple B segment of the CMBS market, it's yielding almost 15% with a spread of around 10%. So it's 1480 with a spread of 10. And if you think about the triple C component of the high yield market, that's at about 12.8% and a spread of an 850. I'm very confident there's going to be some, some opportunities in that triple B segment of CMBS. There'll be some winners and there'll be some just significant losers. So on a, on a broader economic impact, um, the way we're thinking about it, if it gets worse, the transfer mechanism of those losses within the commercial real estate space. And that transfer mechanism will put a little more pressure on the already fragile lending environment that exists because of concerns around you know, the regional banks and other issues. So lending being that fuel for marginal consumption in the economy, I think it ties back nicely into expectations for slower growth going forward. And it's going to be very interesting to see the headlines and how this plays out over the next several quarters. But a lot of bad news priced in. I still think there's more more bad news to come. Yeah, we would we would agree with that scenario as well. I mean, you know, I think opportunistically it's going to be one of the better ones, but not quite yet. I think a lot of the negative headline risk, and I think that um, – the CMBS side, uh, particularly the lower quality type of CMBS and the sectors such as officers, they're still going to face, you know, a decent amount of headwinds, even with all the negative news that's already priced in. 
But when you, I want to just have some final thoughts and takeaways um, from you guys in terms of just your overall view in terms of the marketplace. But more importantly, even if you could address things such as we know that, you know, liquidity has been a big headline risk as of late and the removal of liquidity, particularly given the amount of T-bill issuance that we're having, you know, the replenishing of the Treasury General account. How do you view like overall fixed income liquidity in here when you think about positioning? Well, on that liquidity draw, particularly as it relates to the T-bill market and, and kind of the debt ceiling uh, debate that we just went through, um, I don't view that as a significant issue for the for the markets right now. I think when you think about the the Fed's balance sheet, which is very robust, um, and thankfully they did announce that they're going to continue to reduce the size of their balance sheet over time uh, this week. But the Fed balance sheet and the replenishment of the Treasury account can actually work together and finding a solution you know, for kind of the replenishment that does not cause as much market harm. I think that's being overplayed a little bit. Um, I do think that we will get a, a slew of bill issuance, and, and that will be absorbed by the market, particularly at these attractive yields, and it won't create a, a, you know, a near-term, call it liquidity event that causes more market volatility. But when I think about the you know, kind of outlook or you know, some thoughts about kind of how this plays out, I cannot stress enough the importance of considering this kind of front-end yield trap that many investors are getting in and that the attractive yields in the front end of the market that we are taking advantage of in our portfolios, we agree that that's a great place to garner some yield, but investors have to remind themselves that it's important to consider owning some duration in a world that is underweight fixed income and is in generally a short duration positioning. And if we start to see some of the flows coming back into the market there's 5.4 trillion in money market, domestic money market funds, 8 trillion globally. That money ultimately will find its way back into some of it in the bond market, some of it in the equity market, and it could provide a nice little ballast or at least a support for valuations in the bond market. And when you look at the return profiles of what's available in the intermediate and longer duration segments of the bond market, they really rival that short-term carry around 5%. And I think investors really need to reconsider that as time passes. You know, the other element that, that I would throw out is that this flow dynamic with all of this excess liquidity in money markets and cash, um, that, that money actually will help uh, provide a greater liquidity in the market over time. And as we go through a process of volatility and creating new yields and new prices and new opportunities, um, I'm pretty excited about the prospects of what plays out in the bond market. And I'll close with the last thing that I think is just critically important. And we saw this during the Silicon Valley collapse and the bond market. We talked a lot about bond market and equity market correlations over the last five years and how that positive correlation has been a problem for asset allocators. And we noticed that during the Silicon Valley Bank collapse that the bond market did show a kind of insurance policy element to it as that flight to quality came into play. And I think it's a good reminder for investors that are significantly underweight duration or underweight fixed income that having some exposure in the fixed income space can actually provide that insurance policy element in the portfolio in this current environment. Couldn't agree more. So that's that's a great way to sort of end the segment. And and again, thank you so much for for taking the time and speaking with us. Appreciate it. Enjoy being with you.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 